All right, Romans chapter 2, go ahead and have that open. A couple things. Number one, um, two passages of Scripture we talked about on Wednesday. I told everyone they need to find an uh, answer. I haven't heard from anybody, so I don't know if anybody's come up with any answers. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, you need an answer for that. You need a, uh, an answer for Hebrews 13, I believe it's verse 17. Um, two passages of Scripture that are very, 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 very difficult for uh, Protestants to ask, how does this work in the Protestant world? I gave you three sermons on the church app in the Sermon and Bible Study Notes section for you to listen to to give you some possible ways of answering those two pa- or one passage of Scripture. All three of those was on 1 Timothy. Um, and I want you to listen to those and say, what's, what's their argument? Does their argument make sense? Does it hold weight? So continue to work on that. I'd like to know what you... Uh, what you find or what, it, what your thoughts are. Also, uh, continue to challenge people to read the book of Four Witnesses. I know Brenda's reading it. Stacy's reading it. I know Seth is reading it. So, do I? Awesome. Okay, good. So, we can get everyone reading it. Um, that will just, and then you can struggle with it. Whatever people struggle with may turn into a lesson in itself. But keep working on all of those things. Okay, with all of that said, we're in Romans chapter 2, and I'll just be honest with you, I don't want to be in Romans chapter 2. I would like to just skip the entire chapter, because the entire chapter is producing some major problems and trying to answer. So, what I want to do, it's kind of like this is what we've done. We've kind of started to dig a tunnel, and now we're so far into the tunnel, there's no way out. Um, but, um, we're going to have to try to back out of the tunnel and try to do... Try to see the big picture and try to look at some of this. If, we, if you get caught up into all the verbiage Paul uses here in Romans 2, especially from verse 6 to 16, we can actually lose track of trying to find the right answer and we'll start be trying to figure out other things, okay? Now, I've tried to tell everyone to read this chapter over, you know, the book of Romans over and over and over, but uh, clearly this chapter, and I'm not approaching it the way most pastors would. This is how most pastors would approach it. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 6. Who will render every man according to his deeds? Right? Everybody see that? Okay, that indicates that God judges what? According to works, all right? And they were like, this is the way God judges. Then they would do everything they can to explain it away as fast as they can, right? Okay? And, and what they would typically do is go to their favorite in, uh, commentary, right? from whatever, you know, pastor they love, write his notes down, form an outline, show up to church, give you a three-point outline of why we're not really judged according to our works, or if we are, why it doesn't violate being saved by grace alone through faith alone, and then work through the rest of the chapter just giving you practical points, right? Practical points, and then when they get to verse 17 and following, they'll talk about like, oh, this deals with false assurance and how not to have false assurance. Very simple Protestant-type messages. I'm not playing that game because that's not Bible study. That's not studying the text. That's studying whoever you decide has the right answer. We have to struggle with it. So we're going to struggle with it this morning, and we're going to see what we can come up with. Everybody ready? First, we're going to work through uh, verse 6 to 16. I'm going to read it with some commentary. We've already done this once. We'll do this again. And we're going to establish the issue. I know you should already have notes on all of this. You can just forget those. We'll just walk through this again. And I'll throw out some initial thoughts. And we'll see what happens. Everybody ready? Okay. Romans chapter 2 verse 6. 
If you want to kind of, uh, kind of follow any kind of an outline, I would say Romans chapter 2, verse 6 establishes the problem. All right? Establishes the problem because Romans chapter 2, verse 6, there's no debate. It's very easy to read. Speaking of God, he has spoken of at the end of verse 5, agreed. Who, that's God, will render to every man according to his deeds. Simply put, God is going to what? Judge or render is the idea of what? Remember we talked about the word render? Passing judgment. What were some other meanings of the word render? If you remember? Receiving a payment. He's going to pay what your deeds have earned. Right? Right? He's going to pay you what your deeds have earned. Now, why is that a problem for everyone in this room? Because it violates our doctrinal, the belief that I thought all of you had, right? Don't you all believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone? Well, if I'm saved by grace alone, why is he going to render me according to my deeds? Because shouldn't I be judged based on what Christ has done? Isn't that what we always say we speak of judgment? Right? My sins have been taken care of, Right? So when I stand before God, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because it has nothing to do with what I have done, but what Christ has accomplished for me. Does that make sense? So this creates the problem. Everyone agree? All right. Now, we could go, well, maybe, you know, it's only one verse. We don't want to build too much on one verse. But Paul doubles down, triples down. He, he just repeats himself over and over and over so that no one can be confused. Agreed? How does he do so? Six establishes the problem. Then he, he really explains how it's going to work. Verse 7, to them, right, to those individuals who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, they get eternal life. So what is required to get eternal life according to verse 7? You could put, for verse 7, you could put the requirements of eternal life. What's the requirements for eternal life? What do you have to do? Right? I'll break it down for you. Patient continuance and well-doing. What would be another word for patient continuance and well-doing? Perseverance or consistently doing good. Right? Next. Seek for glory and honor and immortality. And that would be the idea of seeking glory and honor for God and immortality. You're seeking the things of God. And what do you get? Eternal life. Everybody see that? All right. If you want eternal life, you have to do those things. Now, well, the thing is, many Christians were like, I'm good. I will do, I do all these things. Okay, well, that's where self-deception comes in and it's a problem. What happens in verse 8? But unto them. Now, the but means we're doing what? It's going to contrast, right? Everybody see it? To those individuals that are contentious. Do not obey the truth, obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first, also of the Gentile. Now he gives you what brings about damnation. 
He gives you the list of the things. I'm not going to go through them because we'll, we'll spend too much time on that. All right, everybody got that? So number one, we have the problem. Number two, we have what's, what gets you eternal life, the requirements for eternal life. And then you get number three, what's required for damnation. Everybody see that? I mean, simply put, I mean, I, 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 there's nothing creative going on here. And then number four, what's the fourth point he wants us to understand? The fourth thing I want you to get is this, this truth about being judged according to deeds is for everyone, Jew and Gentile, everyone is involved in that judgment, right? Jew and Gentile. No one gets out of this principle. Agreed? Okay, that's what. Okay, you, if you disagree, you can't disagree because this is what the text says, okay? Now, you may want to explain it away, but this is what the text says. Then what does he, 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 he then reverses it back. But, another contrast, glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Now, why does he repeat, why does he seem to repeat himself in verse 10? What, what's the uh, logical reason he seems, I mean, didn't he already establish people who do good go to heaven? Because well, uh, previously he didn't mention Jew and Gentile, did he? Then he mentioned Jew and Gentile in the condemnation, so he comes back for the positive. He wants everyone to know, those who do good, Jew and Gentile, what happens? Heaven. Those who do bad, Jew and Gentile, what happens? Hell. Right? There's no way around this. Would everyone agree this is very clear? Okay, so far so good? Verse 11. There is no respect of persons with God. What is this in a reference to? There's no respect in who's going to be judged and how God is going to judge. And this is true of the Jew and the Gentile. What's the basis of judgment for Jew and Gentile? What you do. What you do. What you do. So far so good? Verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law, shall be judged by the law. Now, simply put, verse uh, 9 and verse 10 gives you how to understand 12. Right? Because he's given us two groups. Right? And what are the two groups? Jew and Gentile. So, as many have sinned without law, that is who? Gentile, and those who've sinned in the law, Jew. Now, here's the question. What law? What law? Yeah, probably the Mosaic law is the only way to understand this. Now, keep this in mind because this is very critical because you all got these passages later on that you're, yet you're already thinking of to try to get out of this passage, right? And what you'll do is you'll, re, you'll, you'll, you'll change the interpretation. He is setting up this idea of law, most likely the Mosaic law. Who doesn't have the Mosaic law? Gentiles. Who do? The Jews, right? I think that's the only way to understand it, right? What other law would be present at this time? Agreed? Right? The Jews, the Jews uh, have... I end up with sticky on me. All right. Jews have uh, the Mosaic Law. Gentiles 
Do not. All right. I think I think there's no question there. Right. I think that's very simple. All right. And and now please note, verse 12 leads to some. I don't want to get into this because this is where you get uh, lost inside the you know the because you see all the trees you miss the forest. This is this is that kind of situation. Some will argue. Well, wait a minute. Um, this sets up a different way of judgment. Right. Those those who have the law. Right. They're going to be judged according to the law. Those who don't won't be judged according to the law. So there's a different, a different level of judgment based on people. All right. Bottom line, though, the, the idea here is whether you have the law or you don't have the law, he's already set up a principle, right? Do good, do bad. Now keep that in mind. This raises some questions. This raises some questions. But he's already set up the principle. He's making an argument whether you have the law or don't have the law. What's going to happen? You're going to be judged. Agreed? Is that what verse 12 says? Yeah, agreed? All right, verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now, verse 13 should disturb you to no end. Now, specifically, who's verse 13 targeting? The Jews. And what is he telling the Jews? Knowing the law, hearing the law doesn't do you what? Any good. Do the law. But what does he equate doing with? Someone said it? Justification. What gets you justified? Doing the law. Now, it's amazing how I guess no Protestants have problems with this. Okay. I, guess, I guess no one. Because, they, no. That, that, does that not go against everything that we supposedly believe? Okay, everybody should say yes. All right. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Now, stop right here. Okay. Now, what is he saying in verse 14? You got Gentiles now, right? They don't have the law, but what do they do? They do things of the law, right? Now, how does this occur? Now, there's some dispute here within the Protestant world, right? Some will argue these are Gentiles who have become converted, and there are others who say these are unconverted Gentiles. I don't understand why we get into this argument. Let's just stick with the text. Let's, let's, let's not complicate it. Simply put, what is he making an argument? There are Gentiles who do the things according to the law, right? Okay, right? Okay, and, and why do they do it? Well, I think verse 15 would show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, uh, the means while accusing or else excusing one another. He's making an argument here, right? Here's these Gentiles. Now, now this is where, please note, this is where some argue that if you take Seth, right, he's, he's cut off from all information. Now, we'll use it in this context. He's cut off from Judaism. He doesn't know anything about the true God. He's a Gentile of a Gentile. However, he lives out and he's doing good, right, according to the moral law. He's following that moral law written on his heart. And he's doing really good. He's doing really good. He just doesn't really know the true God of, of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some argue that this text would claim he could be 
saved. Because he would be following the law that he knows. Everybody see that? Ain't that kind of the argument being made here? Okay. Now, that should bother you. That, that blows everything we believe out of the water. Like It's like a nuclear bomb. How do we work this? Okay. Now, I know what most pastors would do. We'd just explain all this away. But I'm not going to explain it away because is Paul explaining it away? We got to deal with it. Okay. All right. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Right? There's going to be a day when he judges the secrets of men, which indicates what? He knows whether we've kept the law inwardly and outwardly. All right. Now, it, right, this, I mean, it's like, that's just, he just, you want to go, Paul, like right here you wish you could interrupt Paul, or this is where you wish he would have sent this via email, and I could respond really quick and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Could we stop at that verse, uh, you know, that verse there, because uh, verse uh, 16 seems to be causing me a lot of problems. Now, verse 17, no problem, because he turns his attention back to whom? Jews. And it seems 17 all the way, all the, way to the end of chapter 2 is about the Jews. Right? But we, we still got a problem. And what's the problem? What has been established about as clear as you can establish it? Judgment by works. And how are you justified? By doing good. All right. Now, are we ready? Here's what we have to figure out. We have to figure out what's going on. Okay? And guess what? Has everyone in church history agreed on what's going on here? Oh, of course not. Of course not. Now, again, if you go to most churches, you wouldn't even think this is a problem. And, I, and, and again, I have to say this because this is what... Uh, I say this only because it bothers me so much about Christianity and because to me it proves why when Protestants claim sola scriptura, they prove they are incapable of practicing sola scriptura. Right? And this is why I get in arguments with Protestants and they get mad when I challenge Sola Scriptura. But I'm, I'm going to, here's, here's who, the per, people who should be blamed for my frustration with Sola Scriptura is all the Protestants I have known. All of you have read the book of Romans in this room. I have never had one phone call from anyone in this room about Romans chapter 2. I've never had an email. I've never had a text. I, when we go to lunch with the men, I've never had anyone go, I'm struggling with Romans chapter 2. Which would imply to me that all of you have an answer for Romans 2. Right? Sola Scriptura, right? You and the Bible alone. So, what's your answer? Okay. I will argue, most likely, that none of you contain a notebook anywhere where you've worked on Romans chapter 2. Would that probably be a safe assumption? Okay, that means you didn't even practice Sola Scriptura. That means when you read it, you didn't even 
you didn't even think sola scriptura because you would have you'd have been forced to come up with an answer. Right? I would argue that probably nobody bothered to sit down and go and it could even articulate to me all the different views in church history. And this is, and I say this because this is what Catholics argue, is y'all claim sola scriptura, you don't practice it. You're all liars. If you want sola scriptura, you know what comes with sola scriptura? A responsibility. You don't come to me to get the answer. That's Catholicism. And you don't listen to my, and my authority has no authority over you. So your job is to figure this out. I straight that, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm standing there because I want you to feel the weight that, you know, you, we run around, sola scriptura, sola scriptura, sola scriptura, and then I give you a passage of scripture that is not an uncommon passage of scripture, Romans 2, right there in one of the most well-known New Testament books in the Bible, right? Everyone here has read it, but nobody can here can really articulate what their answer is. Because you never worked on it. That means you wanted Sola Scriptura, but what do you not want that comes with it? The responsibility that comes with it. That's the thing that has made me so, I know some people feel antagonistic to Sola Scriptura, but I believe it's just a big joke that all Protestants play. Oh, Sola Scriptura, hate those Catholics. Well, then, then show me Sola Scriptura. Put it into practice. So, what we're going to do is we're going to go through all the different answers provided throughout church history. Are you ready? I have 63. No, I don't. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. It wouldn't surprise me. Okay. All right. View number one. Paul contradicts himself in a few chapters. The contradiction view. All right. Let me read. The contradiction view. Now, the contradiction view is usually held by skeptics, but we'll get here, all right? The reason it is thought, um, it is thought to contradict the apostles' teaching elsewhere in Romans on the subject of salvation, all right? So there's there's some who believe there's a contradiction here, all right? And they they point out a couple of things. Look at Romans 2.7. All right. What does two seven tell us? All right. I'll paraphrase. Eternal life is for those who preserve in doing good works. Would that be a good paraphrase? Right. Agreed. Good paraphrase. All right. But elsewhere, he teaches. Look at Romans six twenty three. What does he, 623 tell us? All right, eternal life is what? A gift of God. That doesn't mean you earn it, right? Okay, Romans 2.7 and Romans 6.23 seem to contradict. Everyone agreed that that looks like a contradiction? Yes? Okay, next look at Romans 2.13. 
What does Romans 2.13 say? She'll be what? Justified. Right? Those who observe the law shall be justified. But elsewhere, look at Romans 3.28. Romans 3.28 says what? Without the deeds of the law. How can we be justified and yet, how does this work? Would everyone agree that appears to be a contradiction? Now, let's start right here. Would it be safe to say, would it be safe to say that most likely an author if we, let's approach this in the most humanistic way possible, right? The most humanistic way possible. Would it not be at least fair to give the author of any book the benefit of the doubt that an apparent contradiction isn't a contradiction because they would not contradict themselves like this? Isn't that an, when agreed? Right? Like I, I'll get into arguments sometimes with, with people who, uh, well, who don't know how to analyze movies but will argue with me about analyzing movies. Well, the movie contradict themselves. And I'll be like, learn how to watch a movie. Learn how to watch a movie. You would know that it's done on purpose. He's trying to make a point. Okay, but, all right. Okay, but, some, now, sometimes you may read a novel or sometimes in a, a movie. It could be a contradiction, but I always try to give the author, the director's, at least the immediate benefit of the doubt until I run out of any ability to explain it away. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt until I can try to figure out, well, why? That, that doesn't make any sense. And then my job is to try to figure out why it makes sense. Now, sometimes I'll have to, you know, like if I'm watching a movie, I'll listen to director's commentary and go, oh, see, I knew there was a reason. I knew it. Because I assume that they know more about making movies than I do. Oh, that's pretty good, right? And I assume that Paul probably knows more about writing a book than I do. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's not going to contradict himself. And I'm doing that from a human perspective. Not even from like, well, he's inspired by God. I'm not even going there. I'm just using a humanistic argument. Right. And then if we believe that it's inspired by God, then we clearly believe it can't contradict itself. So the contradicting view doesn't really work. Everyone agree? Everybody see that? Okay. Now, the second view. The second view is known as the hypothetical view. The hypothetical view. Does anybody know what the hypothetical view is? Okay, let's kind of go in there. You're kind of getting there. Anybody else got a better definition of the hypothetical view or what you think it is? Okay, okay, you're, you're kind of getting there. That's pretty close, to, pretty close to the idea. The argument is that this entire section is a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical. Simply put, it's, the hypothesis goes something like this. Uh, you know, hey, Seth. 
God would judge you according to your, God is going to judge you according to your works. And the only way you can be saved is by doing enough good works. It's a, hypoth- it's a hypothetical. And then what's supposed to happen, I guess, is Seth say, well, I can't keep, I can't do enough, so therefore I can't be saved. Right? So it's a, setting up a hypothetical. All right? I'll read from one. One attempt to resolve the tension is the hypothetical. Um, is the hypothetical reading of Romans 2, which holds that Paul is describing an impossible scenario. In theory, he admits that one could gain eternal life by good works and a perfect obedience to the law. However, so the argument goes, Paul proceeds in the next chapter to show that no one is actually capable of doing this, since all are under the do- uh, domination of sin. Understood in this way, the affirmations in Romans 2 are dismissed as theoretical rather than doctrinal. Despite the simplicity of this solution, there is no evidence that Romans 2 is a hypothetical exercise designed to clear the deck for Paul's real thinking on salvation to be set forth in Romans chapter 3. Right? Everybody got that? Now, I like the hypothetical view because I, I agree, it, it does give you a simplistic idea, but here's what happens with the hypothetical view. You just, you, you kind of, I mean, what Paul is saying there, you don't even really need to break down, right? Paul, see, in Romans 2, guys, don't worry about it. He's just setting up a hypothetical case. Can anyone here stand before God and be justified by your works? Everybody should say, no, and Paul just wants you to acknowledge that, all right? So that's how it would be preached, and it would come across as a pretty a powerful sermon. But what, what, would, what would be a, a possible problem with this? Give me some possible problems with the hypothetical view. Okay, all right. We have some other passages that seem to argue we are saved by our works. What would be a good, a good one to quote? James, which says, faith without works is dead, but it goes on to even more specific. Okay, we're not saved by faith alone. I mean, he literally uses the word alone, okay, right? right, So James would cause a possible problem with this theory. What would be another possible problem with this theory? Everyone should know the other possible problem. Every time judgment is spoken of from Genesis to Revelation, it's according to... Works. So wait a minute. If this is hypothetical, are you saying all of those others are hypothetical? They, all those others can't be hypothetical because one of them is found in the book of Revelation, which is speaking of it as a, an event, not as a theoretical event. Agreed? So clearly getting out of Romans 2 saying, whoa, 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 whoa. He's not saying we're going to be judged according to our works. Uh, it's just a hypothetical that, that means every time judgment is spoken of according to works would be hypothetical, which makes no sense because you end up in the book of Revelation. Even to get around, you end up in the book of Revelation. Even to get around Romans chapter 2, you're still stuck with the problem that the Bible teaches what? We're going to be judged according to our... The Bible teaches we're going to be judged according to our... No one can get around that. Hypothetical sounds good. And I want the hypothetical to be true. I do. I do. But the hypothetical begins with what? How do you get to the hypothetical view? 
What's required to get to the hypothetical view? Ah, presupposition. What are you presupposing? Yeah, I can't be judged according to my works because I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone, not according to what I do. So therefore, this can't be teaching. So it's a presupposition. And I, I understand that. Oh, I know. Yeah. If you were judged according to your works. Right. Yeah. There, there's nothing textually that would indicate that he's setting up a hypothesis. There's nothing in the text that would say that. But if you look at many Protestant commentaries, they go with the hypothetical view. They may, they may be wordy about it, and you may have to read like 30 pages, but when it's all said and done, they're claiming it's basically a hypothesis. All right? That's a, good, that's a good point. There's nothing in the text that indicates it. All right? So far, so good? Contradiction view? We don't like it, do we? Right? No, nobody likes the contradiction view. Hypothesis view. Probably some of you like it. Right? It doesn't work. Right? And Sarah just came up with a good uh, textually. Because, I mean, if you're going to teach the hypothesis view, where should the hypothesis view derive from? The text. And does it derive from the wording of Romans 2? We just read it all, right? Was there anything there going, oh, he's, he's just... He, no, there's nothing going on there, right? What's the third view? Do I? Okay, no, well, we'll um, it's, that's not quite right either, but yeah. There, there, well, well, we'll have to rephrase that one. I know where you're going there. Okay. What would be a third view before we get to that one? All right, let me state the third one. Well, I'll state it this way. Works prove salvation view. Works prove salvation view. Now, this is a common Protestant teaching, right? We've, been, we've dealt with this for now, I don't know, months, right? How does this view work? Seth will be judged according to his works. You know why he'll be judged according to his works? Because his works will prove he's saved. All right? Now, this sounds good. It sounds good. Agreed. What's some of the problems with that view? Y'all should be experts in the problems with this view by now. We've only talked about it a million times. Okay. First is a little circular reasoning because you're saying I'm saved by grace. I'm, I'm coming along going, hey, Seth, um, do you want to go to heaven? He says, yes. All right. You know what's required for you to go to heaven? You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to repent, trust in him alone, and you'll be saved. Right? And then Seth is like, whoo. Good, I'm saved. Oh, wait, 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 Seth. I got, I got, I got, wait, wait. If you're truly saved, you're going to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Right? You're going to do all of that and throw in the Greek alphabet and the Hebrew alphabet because there are a lot of things you have to do, right? And if you don't do these things, you're not saved. But you're saved by grace alone through faith alone. But if you're saved by grace through faith alone, you'll do all these things. So am I saved by grace alone through faith or am I saved by works? Well, you're not saved by works, but you're the, the salvation that saves you will produce the works. That's, and everyone says that sounds like, no Protestants have any problems with this. They, they think it sounds wonderful, but you, you're like, wait a minute, you're just going in a big circle. But not only that, here's the biggest issue. How many works is required?
How many works is required to prove that Seth is saved? We, we've, we've examined the test, did we not? I posted four sermons for everyone to listen. Remember, I, I post the sermons to give you the ability to work out these issues. And he gave, what, 11 tests in those four sermons? If you look at those 11 tests, what did we discover? Well, if you didn't listen to the sermons, then you didn't discover anything. Okay. Well, we've, we studied five of the tests here. When we studied the five tests here, what did we discover? One, in any reasonable way, we're probably going to come to the conclusion that probably none of us are saved. It becomes very subjective, and we typically apply the test to whom? Others, before we apply them to ourselves. There's a host of problems with this one. Right? Agreed? All right. What is the fourth view? For, do I... Okay, let, let, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll test the Pope here. Okay. What is the Catholic view? Is it? Okay. Okay. Call, put this down. The synthesis view. The synthesis view. All right. All right. Now, I'm going to read a, a lengthy section here. I'll break this down in case you get lost, but the synthesis view. Now, again, you, you see from, from my perspective where I get frustrated with Protestants, this is where I get frustrated because I bet you none of you here could even articulate the synthesis view. Well, then how do you even know what Romans 2 means? And see, this is, and I know what you're going to say. Well, that's not my job. You're the pastor. It's your job. Well, then who are you relying on? Me. Well, if you're, but you rely on me until I give you a view you don't, and then you just become like, you see, from you see how why I like as a pat like you people argue. Well, why did you become so like? You, sometimes you sound like you're going to become a Catholic. Well. My frustration is being a pastor. That's what's led me to, to my frustration. It's church members. Because like, sola scriptura, well, show me sola scriptura. And you're like, I'm not going to do the Bible study methods. Well, then you're, just stop claiming to be a Protestant. I don't want to learn the Bible study methods. I'm not going to do the Bible study methods. Bible study guide, I'm not going to do this at home. Devotional, I'm not going to do this at home. But I believe in sola scriptura. Stop it. No, you don't. It's led to my frustration of going like it's the most it's it's not it's not it's not practical. It's not like nobody's going to do the things that are required to do sola scriptura requires what constant study. And I can give you I I could bring in fifty passages, throw them at your feet, and go okay. You've been Christians for how long? 10, 15, 20 years. Well, give me your interpretation. I don't have an interpretation. What have you been doing for 15 years? <laughs> what have you been doing? 
Well, you know, I had a lot of work to do and catch up with some TV shows and had to hang out with some friends and, you know, I had to get together, had to go on vacation. If I was you, I'd probably be a little bit more concerned in trying to figure out those passages of Scripture. You have no clue what they mean. Right? And and everybody's like, you're just being extreme. Not, Not if you believe Scriptures are the final authority. Agreed? So... Here's the synthesis view that you have to know, and I'm, I'm going to make everyone mad who listens to this online, but at some point, we, uh, the Protestant system has to be challenged because churches are a joke when it comes to teaching the scriptures. Christians don't study the scriptures, yet we all want to claim that they're the final authority. Well, how can they be the authority if we're not even in any way, shape, or form even pretending? We're, we're basically, we're just Catholics. We're just Catholics. You just give up you're, you don't want to do the work, and so what's the difference between you and a Catholic? You just determine, you don't even have to do the work, and you just deter, determine which view you're going to agree with. Even if you even care to find out what the view is. You may not even try to care figure out what the view is. Wouldn't you agree Romans 2 should be something everyone in this room should be concerned about? It deals with your judgment. And if you don't have an answer for it, what have you been, what, what have you been doing? You see that this is the part where I just have a hard time. I, I really have a hard time with the whole thing. And, and remember, this is not new for me. Remember when we were doing the London Baptist Confession of Faith and we were studying the scriptures and it was talking about all the scriptures are this and the scriptures are that and the scriptures are this, all these wonderful things. And I'm like, you know, I'm tired of the lofty language about how do we view the scriptures that way. So then I stopped, taught the 12 methods of Bible study and then guess what happened? Nobody would do the 12 methods of Bible study. <laughs> and then as a pastor, you're just like, it's just forget it. Forget it. Forget it. It's like, why? why? Like, everyone wants to say, the Bible is this wonderful book and it contains God's truth. I just don't want to study it. That contradicts what you just professed. Does that make sense? So, here's this view. And this is not going to go well probably for anybody, but here's what it says. All right. According to this view, I'm just going to start here in this uh, book. And um, I'm jumping right in in the middle of a, of, a, of a paragraph, but you'll get the idea. He just basically argued against the hypothetical view. And he says, on the contrary, speaking of Romans 2, it is a sober expression of Christian truth, an integral part of his gospel, see Romans 2.16. Everybody see Romans 2.16, where he talks about his gospel? Everybody see it? Right? Now, they're saying that this teaching that he just gave is an integral part of Paul's gospel. That's the argument. Does he not refer to his gospel there at the end of verse 16? Right? According to my gospel. He's making an argument that Paul is claiming this judgment according to works is integral to his gospel. I think that's a possible good rendering. Agreed? Yes? No? Right. The key is to recognize that Paul speaks of salvation in relation to our first justification as well as to our final justification. Ooh. Ooh. We're getting into some theology now. Does anybody even know how to render that? First justification and final justification. Oh, I never heard of that. Okay. Now, right there, just to, to, oh, man. I want to get into this. I'll just read this briefly. The two, 
first justification, final justification, cannot be disconnected. Now, let's just stop right here. I want to continue, but we're going to have to stop. We'll have to stop. Let's do this. Because I'm really trying to drive, uh, because there's really two points going on in this sermon, right? And I'll make sure I drive these points home. So I'll, I like to leave it practical before we get into this, all right? Let's do this. First, let's write down some practical points. Ready? Number one, would everyone agree Romans chapter 2 is obviously a very difficult passage to interpret? Everybody agree with that? Good, all right. Number two. The possible theories that we've looked at so far, what are those possible theories? Contradiction? Hypothesis? Works prove? Those, uh, well, we'll we'll just say three so far because we haven't really gotten to the synthesis. The three views we've looked at so far have proven to be unsatisfactory. Everyone agree? Now, some may want to hold to, works prove it, works prove it, but I can... We, 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 can, we can, if you push that to its logical conclusion, it's almost, impro- it's hard to even prove. Agreed? You know, like, hey, love proves that you're saved. Okay, do you love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? And if you say yes, then I'm going to say that you've proven you're lost because you're a liar. Okay, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? If you say yes, I'm going to say you're lost because you are a... All right, does that make sense? Okay, so... All right, Th- those are unsatisfactory. All right, so far so good. It's complicated, and all the views so far are unsatisfactory. Number three, and, this is, and I'll end with this. You must feel the conviction and weight of your claim of sola scriptura. You must feel the conviction and weight of your claim of Sola Scriptura. <clears throat> and I know when I when I challenge you on that, I know I can come across as as, as mean, but you have to you have to see it from my perspective, okay? Try to look at it from a pastor perspective. You you stand and preach, and on one hand you realize that no one will listen to what you say if they don't, don't like it. And everyone agreed that that's true? Right. So so that means that like, okay, great. Um, I have no authority, even though we claim Hebrews 13, 17. We know where does my authority start and where does it end? With who? With you. Agreed. Now, you may stay here, which I am thankful you are, but you may stay there sitting in the pew thinking he's wrong about A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. In other words, you're not bound to what I teach. Agreed? Okay, so on one hand, that's what that, it only takes you five minutes being a pastor and you catch on to that really quick. Okay, so then you're like, okay, they're being good Protestants because they believe in sola scriptura, right? Okay, so then what should you assume by people who are going to disagree with you? What should you assume they're doing? They're studying this like there's nobody's business, right? Okay, they're studying, 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 reading, 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 reading. And then when you come to a passage of scripture and you start asking basic questions, what do I discover usually relatively quick? Nobody's studying, 
Nobody's reading. Nobody's doing anything. So then you're like, well, wait a minute. How does this Sola Scriptura thing work? You want the response. You want the power to be able to interpret the Bible, but then you don't exercise the power to interpret the Bible. Or if you exercise the power, you exercise the power to interpret the Bible based off what? Just random what you think. Not on any work. So that begins to, you see what happens? This begins to make uh, the idea of Sola Scriptura, what, what do you think it begins to do in my brain? It begins to make you realize, well, wait a minute. Like, if, if, I, if you're practicing Sola Scriptura, then what should be my, what's my responsibility? To try to do everything I can to equip you so that you can do it. Right? But if I equip you to do it and then you won't use what I've taught you to do it, then, then what, like, <laughs> you, I start just going, well, I just give up. I just, I, that's, I, I don't know what to do. And that's the, that's what, ha- so my struggle with Sola Scriptura, it's really being a pastor has made it so frustrating. And not just what pastor, just dealing with Christians in general. You throw out a, you just hop on social media, throw out a scripture and see what happens. You've all, Seth has expressed the same frustration. He'll say, I can't talk to Christians. Why can't you, Seth? But it's all based on everyone claiming that they do what? Can interpret the Bible. However, not in every case, but in many cases, those individuals aren't studying in any meaningful way. Now, there may be some, but not all. Well, do you see, like, That's not a workable solution. So here's Romans 2. Everyone in this room should care about how you're going to be judged, I would think. Agreed? One of the lengthiest chapters on how we're going to be judged is Romans chapter 2. Not hard. However, none of you have any notebooks showing me your study on Romans chapter 2, which would demonstrate what? what? What can I infer from that? Not worried about it? Don't care? Obviously, I mean, they're not studying. I don't need Romans 2 to prove that. Okay, right? Yeah, that's been proven no, numerous times. But it shows that, that you read Romans 2, but what did you not do? You didn't interpret it. Or what did you do for an interpretation? You see... See, this chapter, I'm trying to accomplish two things. I want us to try to figure out what Romans 2 is saying, and I don't know if I can, right? I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know if I can come up with a good answer, right? But here's what I do want to do. At the same time, I want to drive home that you claiming Sola Scriptura, it's your responsibility to live it. It's your responsibility to live it. Because I've had, you know, Catholics, Catholic professors who, who say that, Protestants are a joke. Y'all claim Sola Scriptura. Y'all don't do Sola Scriptura. Y'all don't, don't give me a break. You don't do it. And you know what I have to say? Does that, does that, you have two options right now. You can get mad at me, but I hope you don't get mad at me because I'm simply trying to show you your belief has to have what? consequence. Correct? You claim it, you have to then do it. It requires work. And I know, how does it work? I think it may have been my friend in Nebraska, it may have been Seth. I've had lots of conversations with this recently with different people. It's weird, all these Protestants struggling with some of the same issues. 
But they're like, is Christianity for the common man? Or is Christianity for the person who has high IQ, who can read Greek and Hebrew and study? I don't know. If it's for the common man, then they're not going to be doing what? Are they going to be trying to figure out Romans 2? I'm going to argue, no, not. And what I would believe that some common people probably couldn't even figure out Romans 2. Agreed? I don't know if I can figure out Romans 2. And I've studied enough theology not to at least be labeled common in that area. And I may be stupid in other areas, but when it comes to theology, I'm not. Agreed? So then, like, if I can't figure it out, how does that work? I just want us to feel that weight, that we're going to have to find a better way of putting this into practice. Um, And and I don't have, I don't have, those are, those are further down the road uh, problems. Right now we got Romans 2 problem to figure out. But I just want you to feel that weight. Does that make sense? I want you to feel that weight and then we'll have to see what happens as we move forward. Now tonight's going to be broken. I don't know how we're going to do tonight. We're going to have to come back to Romans 2 and just get it out of the way. I don't want to, but we're going to have to. And so I don't know how tonight's going to go because we only got one point. So, you know, I'll probably be done in 10 minutes, you know. But we'll see. Okay, we'll see. But so I hope if you have questions, let me know. Not, not now, but afterwards. Uh, and then um, you can go. I know we went a little long, but I just, I just want you to feel that way because it's just so frustrating when I'm sitting there trying to figure out Romans 2 and I'm like, well, okay, no one's figured out Romans 2. How does this work? Uh, lots of things to consider. All right, let's pray. This, I probably shouldn't post this online. All right. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would really, everyone in this room, we, we, we have pro- professed loudly, sola scriptura, sola scriptura, sola scriptura. But Lord, in practice, we haven't even bothered in many cases to figure out a passage that tells us how we're going to be judged when we stand before you. These are things that should uh, greatly convict everyone in this room, including myself, should challenge us to reconsider what Christianity should look like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for the average person. Christianity can't just be for the seminary student. It has to be for the person who goes to work. And Lord, we have to find a way how Sola Scriptura fits in with the lives of an everyday person. And Lord, I pray that you help us find balance. Uh, This morning was about conviction. Hopefully we can find better balance um, this evening and moving forward. But I pray everyone struggles to find that balance. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...